0: you are listening to the hybrid hospitality podcast if you're interested in the trends that are transforming hospitality and want to explore what the future of the industry might look like then you're in the right place this podcast is brought to you by stay the night a creative marketing agency working with hospitality businesses around the world who are changing the way people stay work and play I'm Rosie Willen, co-founder of Stay the Night, and in this episode, I'll be speaking with Vikram Bharati, the founder of Draper Startup House, a global network of hostels and co-working spaces focused on enabling, empowering, and inspiring entrepreneurs. The brand currently operates 15 sites around the world, from Austin, Texas to Singapore, all of which provide the perfect environment for startups to thrive. Along with a place to stay, they also provide their community with access to venture capital and entrepreneurial education. In this episode, we hear about their mission to create 1 million businesses by 2030, how the pandemic has turned their business model on its head, and why entrepreneurship is a powerful force for social change. Hi Vikram, welcome to the Hybrid Hospitality Podcast.
1: Hi Rosie, good to be on here.
0: I know it's nice to catch up with you. So to start, can you tell me a little bit about your own story and what led you to start in the business back in 2018?
1: My journey starts uh, a long time ago in California, and that's where I am originally from. My dad is from India, and my mom is Burmese, and I grew up in Los Angeles. So that's sort of like my, my background, family background. I studied finance in school, uh, joined a bank, uh, entered the financial services world. Uh, so that's how my sort of professional career uh, was developed. Uh, but interestingly, so I work with JP Morgan in Los Angeles, and I work in the international corporate banking division. Uh, so international business was what I started my career with, which was very interesting because I was dealing with um, clients from all around the world you know, doing business in Indonesia doing business in you know the UK and Spain and China and like so sitting in LA and, and essentially working with clients all around the world so I got this international exposure which I loved and that's a piece that I extremely enjoyed and that's that stayed with me ever since At some point, I decided to take a a sabbatical uh, and travel the world, (laughs) which was supposed to be a six-month backpacking trip in South America. Ended up being two years of uh, me backpacking around the world. Uh, So I started off in Argentina and crisscrossed across South America. I was supposed to go back and then go back to work, but I I was having too much fun. So I hopped on over to Europe and then Asia and just sort of... um, Traveling and eating good food and meeting awesome people all around the world, uh, two years uh, of that, uh, and finally ended up settling down in Singapore, started a career, a new career in, in Singapore, uh, which was in the venture capital business. So I joined the firm and we were making investments in early stage startups uh, in Asia. And then I decided to start a company and I wanted to sort of reconvert the the, the backpacker hostel concept to a startup house concept. The idea was to build these hubs around the world where where sort of traveling uh, folks could live, work, play, connect. Uh, And then I wanted to sort of build a global business ecosystem on top of these spaces. And so that was the idea and thesis. And so we started a brand called Tribe Theory here in Singapore which had very good sort of reception from the the marketplace. The audience that was coming in loved the concept. And so we expanded that uh, to Bali, to to India, uh, et cetera. And then we then uh, joined forces with a much larger brand. Uh, Now we're called Draper Startup House, which is part of the Draper startup ecosystem, which is a huge, probably the world's largest startup uh, I would say brand in the sense of they have like a lot of investments, uh, education, and so we our spaces now are essentially I like to call them sort of a a new version of the International Chamber of Commerce uh, <laughs> because a lot of connections, networks, and business happens in these sort of fun spaces and not so much suit and tie you know at the hotel lobby kind of stuff, but really you know the the very community, organic, bottoms up raw sort of uh community driven interactions happen in these spaces and essentially they're an international chamber of commerces. So long-winded answer, but that's how my journey started.
0: Yeah, because I remember when we first spoke it was tribe theory. And then I saw that it moved to Draper Startup House. So you went backpacking and what was it about the hostel model initially that you saw the potential for your own model in?
1: Yeah. So when I was backpacking, I just fell in love with the backpacking culture, uh, which was something I had never been exposed to. And uh, I'm guessing you're European. Uh, so, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. right. So Europeans, get they, they're exposed to the backpacking culture as part of culture, right? Uh, you, yeah. There's a gap year when you're young, you travel. So that backpacking culture is, for Europeans, probably a very sort of common cultural piece of mm-hmm. growing up. For me, it wasn't. And so I experienced the backpacking culture much later. I wasn't 18 or 19. I was a working professional and I got exposed to, oh, backpacker hostels. What are these? Right. And I go in and I meet people from all around the world. We're in bunk beds and just so much fun and, and like real, like, you know, life comes out. Right. And, Mm -hmm. and, and, and so that culture piece, uh, that experience was something that I just fell in love with. I found so much value in that because the connections and the people you meet in those spaces are just, there's no replacement for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I, because I was sort of a working professional and I was in the business world, piece that was missing for me was the business piece. Like I loved the, you know, the, the bar hopping. I loved the, the pub crawls and, and the happy hours and, and and the meeting of fun people and getting into trouble. And like all, I loved that piece. The piece that though I felt was missing for me was sort of the business connections, uh, the business building piece. So the thought was like, wow, what what if you could actually combine the two where you have this natural hospitality piece uh, Mm -hmm. as well as the business connection piece. But what I found fascinating about the hostel model was in a very small space, You can do a lot of things uh, that don't require big spaces, you know? And so when I was in the business world, the hotel concept, right? Like the big hotels with the big lobbies and the big corridors and the private rooms. And it was clearly they're built for a specific audience, but I just felt that in the hostel space for one tenth of that space, you could accommodate a much larger group of people, do a lot more things. And so the efficiency, of smaller spaces is a amazing. Secondly, it just generates these collisions, you know, these community collisions of like being forced to meet people, being forced to interact with people. That piece I just found it to be so valuable mm-hmm. that if we could just add on this business component to it, I think it could just be phenomenal. So that's what drew me into the concept.
0: Yeah, there's definitely something special about the hostel travel experience, I think, that we see a lot of hospitality companies trying to emulate that, but it's just so authentic and so kind of not contrived, I guess, in, in the way that things can be that it makes it that that more, bit more special. You have fourteen locations now, is that right?
1: We have 15, well, oh, wow. so we had 15 locations as of last month. I think it's <laughs> less now, but let's uh, just, yeah, we, we have 15 locations.
0: Yeah, and each of those obviously have their own unique features, but what are the core elements that a guest can expect to see at every Draper-style house?
1: The caveat, our business is morphing and transforming, uh, so we can talk about that. Yeah. But in our old model, uh, which was sort of pre-pandemic, the the core components of the spaces where we're targeting sort of the young backpacker type folks but who were looking for what i was looking for when i was traveling which was the fun but also the business networking uh, element uh so lower budget price um looking for you know collisions and connections and fun so that's the audience that we're targeting and so in a space uh, essentially in that old model would be very much uh Having the, 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 the backpacker hostel culture, but then also having the business component. So for instance, you know, like pub crawls, we would do pub crawls, but we would go visit companies. Everyone would bring beers and we would go to different companies and then meet business people in like, or startup people in the different companies, but also have fun. So by the time you're done with the pub crawl, not only have you had fun, but you've actually met, you know, 20, 30 people from different companies. Um, So that's good for networking. That's an element. Then a lot of the events we do instead of pool parties, we would have pool parties, but with like a speaker talking about, I don't know, blockchain or whatnot, right? So there's an education element and a networking element and a business building element to every single piece of events that we did. So that was sort of the twist. Uh, So every space had that. From a physical component It was pretty much like a backpacker hostel, you know, bunk beds, private rooms, common space, work area. Uh, So nothing fancy there, to be honest. But the core element that sort of differentiated us from the backpacker hostel next door was the element that this is where, if you want to learn about startups and business building and networking, meeting people that could help be helpful professionally, that was the place you went.
0: Yeah. So you said the business is transforming now. That's exciting. But was that as a result of the pandemic then? Or has that accelerated that?
1: I think it's a result of two things. Uh, it's a result clearly of the pandemic where, you know, the, the raw organic backpacker hostel culture where everyone's like on top of each other clearly is no longer what people, Oh, it's no longer of value. Like it's not, that component is not going to come back for a while. Right, mm-hmm. It'll come back, but maybe not in the next 12 months or 24 months yeah that authentic backpacker sort of uh, experience is not going to come back for probably a little bit of time uh, so clearly the pandemic was a reason uh, secondly it was also our learnings that what we were trying to do from a business model perspective maybe that that target audience or that raw backpacker culture was maybe not the best sort of uh, space configuration for what we wanted to do. We needed something in between. So um, something that's a little more uh I guess upmarket. And I say upmarket with quotation marks because I don't mean it in a in a uh, sort of a hoity toity kind of way, but upmarket just from a pricing perspective. Because mm. a lot of the people were actually older than than what I we had originally assumed. So we were thinking of the 18, 19, 20 year olds, but it turns out that they don't care about business building that much, but it's more like the 20 plus or mid twenties. Mm. Uh, they're the ones who are interested in what we're doing. So we had to sort of cater to a, a little bit of an older audience. Uh, so that was another just sort of learning from like our business uh, and catering to our audience. And then, Oh, there was another component. Thirdly, the team that started this, we just got older. And like, we, you know, we, I guess we figured like, Hey, we, we, We started that because that's what we wanted, but now we're older. So we got to like also kind of grow up a little bit. (laughs) So those three reasons were the sort of the main uh, uh, driving forces of this transformation.
0: Yeah, it's really interesting that you say that because I think a lot of the time with our clients, what we see is when we come in to do a marketing strategy, for example, it's like who they think they're talking to is not actually who they're talking to. And I think it's, it's good to be flexible and respond to that rather than What some businesses do, I think, is dig their heels in and go, no, this is who we want to reach, but recognising that that might not be the best audience for your product and then changing that. And so obviously over the past 18 months, how long has it been now that this has been going on? Almost two years. Almost two years for us in Asia,
1: yeah. Mm -hmm.
0: We've obviously seen a big shift towards flexible working, which I think will result in a new wave of digital nomads, remote workers, how do you think that will affect your guest segments? And have you already seen some changes with that?
1: Yeah. Uh, so there's, I think, three things to unpack uh, with your question. Firstly, the transformation that we are do- we are going through is the old model. We were focused on 80% physical spaces, 80% in the hospitality model. So the operations of uh, physical space, the... Uh, accommodation the 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 FMB. so 80% was hospitality and 20% was the differentiation that we had from the competitors which was the the business element the networking element the, the you know the fundraising element so that was 20% so that 80 20 mix was our sort of uh model uh, in the old model in the new model we we are now transforming that and turning that upside down. So we are now focusing 20% on spaces and 80% on the, I call it the software and hardware model. So the hardware is like the physical spaces, the operations, and the software is the programs, the events, the ecosystem, the networks, that's, I call it software. So we're now 80% focusing or pivoting to focus on the software layer and 20% on the hardware layer. And the reason for that is, we have also learned that uh, the model we had was just not scalable. Yeah. You know, going in, uh, renovating a space, and then you know, staffing it, hiring people in new countries—it's just is a very, very operationally heavy uh, model. And um, it was good that we did it initially because we built some presence, we built know-how and learnings, mm-hmm. and built a brand. But now, now that we have established a global brand, we can actually get partner spaces. That can they would like to co-brand with us, uh, so it would be like Draper Startup House at Unovo Space, which is what we have in Vietnam, or Draper Startup House at Dasha Living Space, which is in Spain. So a lot of physical spaces want a global brand that has global presence, and so we're now co-branding with existing spaces. Uh, so our efforts are now twenty percent in physical spaces and 80% in the value added services which is the global business network. Uh so that's the transformation that uh is going on with our business. And and on to your question of like uh flexible work, flexible spaces, remote working, digital nomadism, clearly that's the future. People are going to travel around the world and work from anywhere and and would in fact that is going to become a competitive advantage for companies to be able to have that yeah. ability for people to. So infrastructure to support that, uh, whoever builds infrastructure to support that is clearly going to be do well. And we see brands like Selena, right? They're building the physical infrastructure to support remote work and digital nomadism. Yeah. And, and clearly there's a need for that. So uh, I think, I think um, for sure, uh, it's clear that 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 industry is going to grow and a lot of uh, companies are now starting to realize that and building infrastructure to support that
0: yeah definitely but,
1: yeah but but what we have learned is that infrastructure is important but i think what's even more important than infrastructure is the ability for people to actually have seamless communities around the world and be able to plug into business communities around the world and so that's the 80% that we're focused on to be able to add on that software layer to physical spaces.
0: Yeah, and I imagine that obviously opens up more revenue streams for you, which is great because I think that's why we've seen a lot of hospitality businesses go from either a straight hotel or hostel to kind of diversify their revenues over the last two years (laughs) and that those models have been way more resilient. And so I was going to ask about because that connection community is at the core of your concept and it sounds like it will be even more so now, how do you foster that connection between guests, both on site, um, which I imagine happens quite organically, but then after they check out as well?
1: I think the question you've asked is sort of fundamental to sort of what's happening in the industry, because if you sort of look at the hospitality business in general, not all companies are like that, but in general, it's very commoditized. And it's very uh, transactional. So, for instance, if you go to a, a Marriott in I don't know the UK or the Marriott in you know Brazil, mm-hmm. you expect like you know what you're going to get. But it's transactional. Like you need a place to stay. You 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 know what you're going to get. You go there. Once you leave Marriott, there is no emotional connection to Marriott. Like there's no sense of community with Marriott, yeah. right? It's very beautifully done transactional brand but I have no reason to connect with Marriott once I leave Marriott, right? Mm -hmm. Like, what's the reason? The only reason is when I travel, right? So, and that's the reason why I like to break this down to hardware and software. On the hardware side, it's very hard to build an emotional connection and a community, but I think you need that extra software layer. And this is where we wanna focus on, which is a reason. And so our mission of the company is, we wanna help build a million businesses in the next 10 years through our network that's our mission which means it's the entire life journey of our target audience you know from the moment they have an idea to build a business to then helping them develop that help them connect to the world help them build a uh, you know to fundraise and then grow with them in their journey that's a lifelong journey right so there's an emotional connection there and there's a reason and a why these people would want to connect with us after they leave our space. Uh, so for instance, we have a Slack channel where our guests join and, and they can join whether or not they're a guest or not. You know, as long as they're just a community member, they can join the Slack channel. And the Slack channel is super active because if someone stayed with us in Lisbon and they were working on their idea, they want to stay connected with us because in our Slack channel, they want to ask questions on like, Who can they meet? You know, they're looking for co-founders. They're looking for customers. And because we're a business-oriented community, people have a reason to be part of our community past their stay. That piece is something that I think a lot of hospitality companies don't have because they're very transactional. It's a place to stay when you're there, but there's no reason for them to be connected once they leave.
0: So you're kind of bringing that value just outside of the stay itself. So there's that continuity through the community and Slack channel, yeah.
1: Exactly. So, and it's the reason is because it's very focused in terms of like, we want to help you build your business. Mm. And so that has so many different aspects uh, that people need to be connected with the community, regardless of whether they're at the place, after the place, before the place.
0: Yeah. And so just to like kind of break down the different elements of the business currently. So one arm of the business is, the Draper Startup House Ventures, which helps entrepreneurs and startups raise funding for their companies. Can you tell me more about that and how that works?
1: Yes. We essentially do four things with Draper Startup House. Uh, These are the four pillars of our business. Uh, One is hospitality services or physical spaces. And that's, you know, we've talked about that quite a bit. The second is education. So we have a sister company called Draper University education programs. So that's through our sister company, and we we promote those through all our spaces and through our community and our our digital uh, footprint. Uh, The third thing is uh, services. So we actually have a technology outsourcing sister company. And if you need to build tech for your business, then we help you do that. And the fourth pillar is uh, investments, which is the Draper Startup House Ventures, which you mentioned. And within that, we have two ways of helping people raise money. One is uh, we have a global syndicate, and it's an online platform, and we have hundreds of investors from around the world who are on the platform looking for investment opportunities. And then we have thousands of companies, both guests and their uh, friends or community members who are are fundraising who are on the platform. And we essentially play the middleman. We connect um, investors tell us, hey, I'm looking for companies in this industries and in this stage of their life and this geographies with these requirements and then when we when we find them we match them so that's sort of like a syndication model and by the way that's completely free so if anyone's raising capital you know join our platform and, and we can facilitate uh, both sides of the transaction the second thing is we have our own fund which we are uh, in the process of launching uh, we will be launching very soon which is going to be our own capital base where we're gonna deploy small checks, small investments. So, you know, 25,000, 50,000, 75,000 to 100,000. That's 100,000 is our max, but it will have four different categories within that to very early stage companies. So if you have an idea uh, and you have a product in the market and you have customers, it's very early stage, are you looking for capital? We're gonna deploy directly through our own fund. So these are the two mechanisms that are in the investments uh, pillar.
0: And so the education arm of that as well. So do you have people coming to you who are not from that world at all, I'm guessing? and, And it's kind of like the education would bring them up to speed with that sort of thing. Because I think for me, one of the biggest barriers to entrepreneurship is just that complete lack of understanding of that world. It's not in the UK, it's not taught to us about venture capital or raising funding or that kind of business acumen.
1: In our community, we have uh, basically four uh, types of uh, people. Uh, One are sort of like, they're they're curious uh, about what we're doing. So they may have no interest in building a company, or they may not even have any, you know, maybe they're students, or maybe they're working professionals, they work at a corporate job, but they're curious, you know, hey, what is all the startup stuff, right? So they want to come and just... They're curious, right? Mm-hmm. So that's one category of people, and we love them because um, you know curiosity is the first thing, and then maybe some you know it'll trigger something in them to have an idea to build something, and hopefully we can help them. So that's a curious person. Secondly, are people who are just starting off. They have an idea and they're tinkering on the side with trying to build something. So the very early stage. We love those people because they're very early. Uh, the third uh, are people who have sort of you know they've they've started a business. You know they, they built a website they have some customers and they're they've got a prototype and and they're sort of uh, in the very early stages of building their business and the fourth uh category is uh people who are who've had a business for a long time um uh, and and you know they're looking for new customers they're looking for new employees they're looking for more investors so sort of like a bit more later stage types of people so they're all uniquely different categories of people but those four categories generally sort of come to our community
0: yeah and it's interesting because from the outside looking in you'd think that i think with businesses you think oh you have a very targeted niche of people who want to start a business but when you start to break that down there's still segments within that and so just to touch on your marketing approach then how do you reach those people that you think would benefit from your experience
1: we do you know, a lot of content stuff that we put out and we try to make the content useful. So like, any content that's coming from us is never about, oh, look at how spacious this room is or how beautiful yeah. the grapes are or like how nice is the lobby, right? Like we generally don't do that because it's not our main focus. Mm-hmm. Uh, our main focus is it to help people build companies. So all the content is really on, on like, hey, one of our community members raised capital. Let's congratulate them, right? And I think people are attracted to that because, you know, it clearly shows a clear reason and definition for why we exist. And it turns out that people like companies that have a strong mission.
0: Yeah, definitely. That's music to my ears, because from a marketing perspective, we see so many businesses who see their marketing channels as just a place to talk about themselves. And that's for us, like the completely wrong approach. It should be put your guest or your customer at the center of that and then provide value, provide entertainment, depending on the type of brand. But um, just to go back to your mission. So it's 1 million entrepreneurs by 2030. Is that right? Yeah. That's right. And in a previous interview, you'd said that the more entrepreneurs we have in the world, the more prosperous the world will be. Can you expand on that a little bit and tell me why you find entrepreneurship to be so powerful on a social level?
1: So I, I think it's. I like to look at history um, and and a bit more of the macro environment to to um, understand our mission. So historically, humanity has all has sort of developed through um, you know first we're all we're all farmers, you know, or, or we worked at a farm. We're all agrarian. Everyone worked in farming. Mm-hmm. Oh, there was like nobility and then there there's farmers essentially. And then we sort of industrialized and then we built this massive factories and most people work in factories. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, we became, we came into sort of the digital era where the internet sort of like changed everything. Now we're at a point in history where it's so easy for people to become, sort of take their independence in their, on their own hands. There's really no time like this ever in the past because Mm -hmm you can directly get customers, you can build your own community, you know, you can you can go on YouTube, build your own channels, you can have your own customer base, you can build your own audience, um, you know, you can have your own Shopify, you can have your own Instagram handles. So like, these are all components of a, of a time we live in where uh, people can become a lot more independent and have a mm-hmm. lot more freedom. So this idea of this factory system or like working on big companies that is becoming less and less relevant as people are becoming a lot more empowered to take their destinies in their own hands. Right. And I think that's such a powerful thing because ultimately the more people who are independent and have more freedoms to be the masters of their own destiny the better the world becomes mm-hmm. because, uh, we don't have these like overlords, you know, uh, yeah, yeah. uh, like back in the day that, that sort of dictate what we should do, how we should do it, where we should do it. And so I I always have felt that business and the more people who are in business, the, the better the world is because when you're in business, you know, you trade more, you, 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 you look at each other's benefits a bit more, you, you communicate more, you have more self-interest, but you also have the interest of the other people in mind because you have to always interact with them. So business is such a great vehicle for people to communicate and find common ground. And then entrepreneurship is essentially taking your independence in your own hands. And what a better uh, goal to have to help people become independent, uh, to help people sort of interact and talk to each other. So I've always found that entrepreneurship is the most powerful tool in the world because through entrepreneurship you find the reason to solve problems, uh, you find reasons to innovate, you find reasons to you know essentially solve problems, yeah. and that that's what entrepreneurship is. And so I think the more entrepreneurs there are in the world, the more people will communicate, the more people will innovate, the more people will trade, and and that seems to be the way the world gets better.
0: Yeah, that makes perfect sense. And do you think that formal education, let's say, I know we're from different backgrounds and then I only have a Western perspective on that, but do you think formal education has caught up with that? Or do you think at the rate that this is accelerating now, do you think things like Draper Startup House could replace the university experience, for example? Because that's something that interests me because I think now that would it be more valuable for someone instead of doing a three-year degree in the UK to go and experience living a year in three different countries and learning the skills they want to learn from that and and networking with all these people? I think that could potentially be more valuable.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with you. I mean, so it's very clear that people need to be educated. Like education is key to just being a human being and finding some success in life and you know getting through the world so education is key but how we get educated i think is changing mm-hmm. um and i think the formal education system which i'm a product of like i went to business school i went to undergrad you know like so uh, just like you we're, we're products of like a formal education system yeah. right and 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 i f- i found it to be very valuable but i think that is changing because how you get educated is there's a lot more avenues of getting educated. so there's you know a lot more information out there there's a lot more content there's a lot more just availability of um, educational methods. Yes. Some people need formal sort of formal curriculum to get through it but some people are sort of self they can be self-taught but not everyone's like that. I, I think clearly uh, formal education is important and it will stay here. I don't think it's going away anywhere yeah. but I, I think it does open up. Avenues for a lot more people in the world to have access mm-hmm. to education through, you know, through YouTube. I mean, I learn a lot of stuff on YouTube. Same. Yeah, uh, yeah. And, and and it's just because we're just so much more connected. So I, I think how you get educated is is clearly changing, and it's going to change a lot. To your point, I think places like Draper Startup House. I mean, I kind of see them as education centers. Yeah. And as people travel and live from anywhere. Uh, you know, I, I see every single space that we have as as a university campus in a way. That's why education is such a big, it's one of the pillars of our offering.
0: Yeah. And so we touched on it a little bit earlier, but what do you think currently the biggest barriers to entrepreneurship are?
1: That's a really good question. To be honest, I don't know the answer to that because I think there's many, many barriers to entrepreneurship. Um but someone actually told me the other day that he, he felt that the biggest barrier to entrepreneurship was infrastructure, like was the ability for people to know that they can actually build a business and yeah. they can and, and, and have support to build a business. That awareness, awareness, I think, is also probably a big barrier because not everyone not everyone understands that oh wow yeah you can you can build your own business that you can be independent that you can take you know your financial destiny in your own hands i think that awareness is lacking i think that infrastructure is probably lacking in the world because all the education system in the world is not it's teaching people to like become employees and yeah. not to become uh, entrepreneurs. That's where I think Draper Startup House can really play a role. I mean, yeah. imagine if there's a Draper Startup House in like every city in the world, where you walk in and you have an idea for a kombucha brand, and and you say, "Hey, I have this idea," and then like the infrastructure is there to then help you. Uh, yeah. So probably, probably that is one barrier, uh, and clearly there's like lots of other barriers. It also depends on what country you live in.
0: It definitely, uh, does, yeah, that definitely resonates with me because I think going back to the education point, but also not having the, I think it's about representation too and seeing people from where you're from. Because I'm from a small town in the northeast of England, which when I was growing up, wasn't a very entrepreneurial place to be in that regard. And like unemployment's a problem where I'm from massively. It's got some of the worst unemployment rates in the UK. So I definitely felt that in education, that there was this barrier in terms of, you felt that you were being funneled into certain roles because, and, and it's not really your teacher's fault or your career advisor fault because they were trying to give you the best chance to get a job coming out of that. But it wasn't until I went traveling myself and went backpacking and kind of saw other people having businesses that it even became a possibility in my mind that that was something I could do. Like it just didn't, it just wasn't there. So I think that's definitely something that resonates with me in terms of that having that infrastructure in place.
1: Yeah, I, 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 completely, I completely agree with you. I, I think this opportunity is massive to create this uh, I guess like ecosystem to help people who want to build a business. I think it's a massive opportunity because I I just don't think we have enough entrepreneurs in the world and and the pie can be so much bigger. And think of like all the solutions we can have to problems if more people are working on them.
0: Yeah and I like tapping into that side of themselves, I suppose. So for you personally, we've talked a little bit over about the past two years. What are the biggest business lessons you've learned during the course of that time? I'm sure there's some big ones.
1: There's definitely a lot of lessons. One of them, uh, I think, has been to be a lot leaner. <laughs> you know, to be, to be leaner in the earlier days, uh, I think it's um, important because you just never know what's going to happen. I mean, the pandemic hit us and we basically went out of business almost, right? Uh, we survived it, but we were very close to it. And so I think being lean and, and, and uh, leveraging on partnerships. It's not something I appreciated as much. I, I think you can do a lot more with uh, with how you structure partnerships, uh, a lot more value there. Um, those are two lessons. Um, I think the third lesson also has been to ask for help. I, I'm terrible at asking for help. Um, but I think I think asking for help is extremely important. Uh, you know, from your friends, from your community, from your investors, from your network, ask for help. And it's something I'm working on still. I still find it hard to ask for help, but I need to ask for help more. And I found that to be an extremely valuable lesson.
0: Yeah, definitely. No, I, I relate to that. I'm not very good at asking for help either. Um, so finally, can you share one of your favorite Draper Startup House success stories with me?
1: okay. Oh boy, we have so many. Well, maybe we can share uh, the latest one. We had in Bangalore, in our space in India, we had a startup uh, team come and stay with us for, I think, a few months. They had an idea, they were working on an idea and um, you know they met a lot of people and they recently ended up raising funding for their idea through our space and through our network community. Uh, so that's great success. And we have tons of those types of success stories. Where people find investors, uh, or angel investors, or community investors through our, you know through being part of our uh, network and our community and our space. So tons of those. The one that I particularly like is um, we had a we had a guest in our space in Bali who had come there just he was curious and uh, he had an idea to to launch a, a, a sustainable clothing brand. Uh, and and then he worked through that space and the community to to launch a sustainable clothing brand, uh, which now is doing well. And then they have gone out to raise capital, and now that business is growing. And they're actually now sort of transformed themselves into part of their business is a crypto business, and they've launched a coin for ocean cleanup, and, and 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 you know they've they've created a brand around helping the planet through a sustainable clothing brand, but as well as they found ways to to help sort of like the ocean cleanup uh, efforts. So that's a great success story. I mean, yeah, so we, we have we have lots of those.
0: That must be so satisfying when you know that's been born at, at one of your spots. That's so nice.
1: I wished I had something like that when I was traveling because when I was backpacking, I was sort of kind of lost in a way. And I, if, if I had gone into a hostel where there was a community of people working on ideas and I was, you know, encouraged to sort of like come up with ideas and, 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 and build a business. I think I would have benefited a lot. So I wished I had that.
0: I think that's often how the best businesses start is when someone sees something that isn't there, that they know that they would benefit from, or they wish they had, because then you can be totally in that mindset of it. Right. right. Well, thank you so much, Vikram. That's been great. It's been great to catch up, and I really love what you guys are doing. I think it's so important and inspiring, and I'm super excited to see what what 2022 brings for you.
1: Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> thanks, thanks for having me on. We're we're also curious to see how how things go. I mean, we're still in the pandemic, and we're still trying to pivot, and we're still trying to transform, and we're trying to reimagine our business. But I think our mission is still clear and I think our general direction is, it's there. But it's, you know, ultimately, as you know, it's all about execution, patience, time, a lot of luck. I guess I keep telling myself just not to stop and just keep going, just keep going and things will work out. So that's my mantra.
0: I think that's been a lot of people's mantra for the last (laughs) two years, definitely. But it's worked, you know, it's definitely worked. Thanks so much. Thank you. For those listening who want to find out more about Draper Startup House, you can visit www.draperstartuphouse.com. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the Hybrid Hospitality Podcast. Don't forget to subscribe if you'd like to be the first to hear about new episodes. We'd love it if you could leave a rating, and if you'd like to follow us on social media, you can do so. Just search Stay the Night on LinkedIn, or head to Co over on Instagram. For more information about what we do, visit www.staythenight.net. Until next time, thanks for listening.